All right. So the topic is Jesus of Nazareth, the resurrected Christ. We're in Acts chapter 2, 22 through 41. So if you'd turn there, please. Acts chapter 2, 22 through 41. So Acts chapter 20, uh, uh, me, Acts chapter 2, 22 through 41. Uh, we've been working through the series in the book of Acts. And hopefully you've been reading your Acts study guides as I shamelessly promote those because they're really handy and good and I use them. Um, so as we go into this, uh, it's interesting that, you know, Kevin obviously plans these uh, trips he's had in, in advance and kind of gave me a clue. And it, it hit on the section that just happens to be a section I like a lot. So that's just the way that seems to work out many times. So I'm going to read this. Men of Israel, listen to these words. This Jesus, the Nazarene, was a man pointed out to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says of him, I saw the Lord ever before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope because you will not leave me in Hades or allow your Holy One to see decay. You have revealed the paths of life to me. You will fill me with gladness in your presence. Brothers, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing this in advance, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not left in Hades, and his flesh did not experience decay. God has resurrected this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord declared to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When they heard this, they came under deep conviction and said to Peter, and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what must we do? Repent, Peter said to them, and be baptized each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified strongly, urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation, so that those who accepted his message were baptized. 
And that day about 3,000 people were added to them. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you, Lord God, that we have the message before our eyes to know that when we preach and we teach and we speak to one another, when we go out in the highways and the byways and they hear the word of God, that there is life that can be in their souls, in their bodies, in their minds, in their hearts, in their spirits. Father, that we have the privilege of announcing the great King, Jesus, to all the world. Thank you, Father God, for that. Lord God, that your words would be spoken this day in Jesus' name. Amen. So, in this section of Scripture, this is a follow-on to what Pastor Kevin was talking about last week, which was baptism of the Holy Spirit. And in what had happened, all these people, because they were there on this great day, heard the announcement and hearing them speaking in their own languages, they were amazed because they were worshiping God and came to them and said, wait, we're, we're, how are you guys speaking in these languages? How is that possible? And so they surmised some mockingly that, oh, maybe you're drunk. Well, no. Peter says, ninth hour of the day, that's not it. And then he goes into this whole long dissertation. The part that's so fascinating to me is in such short words, few words, 3,000 accepted the message and came to Christ. Now you can imagine this church. We go out and we just preach the gospel and then 3,000 people show up here. Well, obviously we don't have the room. But uh, we'd be really, really, really busy. Okay? So my point is, suddenly that little body of believers of 120 went to 3,000, 120. Do you think they were scrambling? Yes. They needed to figure this out, and they had to figure it out fast. And it's an interesting thing, because we don't like kind of think about what were they going through. I mean, he just got done preaching, and here's 3,000 new believers, and they're out baptizing 3,000 people. Think of the logistics, if you will. I mean, that's a long walk. I don't know. Did they take the donkeys and the carts and everything out? I don't know. However, they did this. But that's a lot of folks, and it's a lot of stuff happening really fast. And we kind of just like nonchalantly read that passage. Like, hey, yeah, there was 3,000 people added. Well, 3,000 to this fledgling new church, the way. Which already, you know, the religious folks were not happy. They thought they vanquished Jesus, and they thought they got rid of this movement. And here they are adding 3,000 in one day, in one moment in time. So, if you realize this, you realize, wow, that was some power. And the power of what? The Holy Spirit that was flowing through them and was transmitted to those men and women who came to Christ. This part in the scriptures is called kirima. Kirima in Greek is preaching. That's all that is. All right, and that's, there's a title in, in the various, if you read some of the commentaries, that's, that's what the title is in that. What did Peter do? He declared who Jesus was. He laid out who this Jesus was. He laid out what did they do, unabashedly, unashamedly said, hey, God had a plan. You didn't realize he had a plan. But the plan all the time was that Christ would suffer and die. But then he doesn't hesitate to point out, but you evil people, he used you and you killed him. 
but praise be to God, he's been resurrected. And that's the point of the story. Wonders and signs were confirming who Jesus was. And, and you've heard Pastor Kevin talk about more than a few times than others. The wonders and signs were just the evidence of who he was and what he was doing. The wonders and the signs were not what we're seeking after. And we've discussed that here before. People that just run after wonders and signs, eventually you're going to run out of wonders and signs. Okay? That's what's going to happen. And so that wasn't the point. It was merely to show who he was and the power that he had. And so when Peter's talking to them and explaining this to them, they're realizing they saw these wonders and signs. They saw all this stuff going on. And now Peter's saying, we are, us here, the witnesses of the resurrected Lord. We saw him. We saw him. We touched him. We held him. So the power is now, they're realizing, oh, he is resurrected. They saw him. And so the power is the, the actual witness. One of the things here is you read through this, and this is useful for all of us, any of you, and we're kind of talking about and alluded to this in our class this morning. We all have an opportunity and a responsibility to witness to other people. That is our opportunity and our responsibility. We're to go out and give the good news to everyone. And it is good news. And so we should be happy to present that good news. I've given the illustration in the past. You know, obviously for my seafaring years, if somebody falls overboard, you don't just smile and wave at them as they disappear. No, you throw them a lifeline and you hope they're going to grab that and you're going to pull them aboard, right? That's what you're going to do. Well, realize folks floating around out here, they're lost. And they need a lifeline. And we've got it. Or what are you going to do? Hang on to it? Or are you going to help them? And so, from my way of view or looking at things, I, I see that we have this opportunity. And it's a great opportunity. I know for some folks it's a little scary to witness. I, I realize that, and I, I was reading a statistic yesterday which kind of surprised me that I hadn't thought about it, but according to this statistic, most individuals that are believers never lead anyone to Christ in their entire life. Now, I don't know what that percentage, because I didn't give a number, but that was a little bit uh, alarming to me. Because this is the opportunity we have. It's a great opportunity to help people out. The theological paradox of divine sovereignty and human free will is on display in Peter's preaching before the men of Israel. It's no wonder that when Peter finished preaching that their souls were convicted and their hearts were pricked by the realization that they were participating in the killing of the Messiah who they were all waiting for and didn't realize it. And that was a big wake-up call to them. We've been waiting our whole life for the Messiah. He showed up and then we killed him. Thank God that he's resurrected. Oh, okay. It's a fabulous day for them. But that kind of a preaching is still the kind of preaching that reaches people. We may not present it in that same way, obviously. But we have an opportunity to present it to everyone that we come in contact with. If the religious leaders wanted to, at any point, disprove what Peter was saying, they were there. All they had to do was produce a body. They couldn't, could they? There was nobody. He was resurrected. And that's the point. 
What was the Roman's job? The Roman guards were, what? Executions. They executed Christ along with the others. They're really good at it. You've heard this before. That's what they were professionals at doing. What was the other thing they did? They make sure you're dead. You know, that's what a good soldier does, you know, when they do their job. But remember this in Matthew 27, in verse 62. The next day, which followed the preparation day of the chief priests and the Pharisees, gathered before Pilate. And they said, uh, Sir, we remember that while this deceiver was still alive, he said, After three days, I will rise again. Now, do you guys remember prior to that when Christ was talking in front of the temple, you know, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it? And they all acted like they didn't have a clue as what he was talking about. Well, actually, they did. Because they show up at Pilate. Uh, yeah, he kind of mentioned he was going to be coming back after three days. So they knew exactly what he meant. Even though they pretended like they didn't know. But no, oh, they did. And so he says, oh, uh, he said he might rise again. Therefore, give orders that the tomb be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come, steal him, and tell people he has been raised from the dead. Then the last deception will be worse than the first. You have guards of soldiers, Pilate told them. Go and make it as secure as possible. They went and made the tomb secure by sealing the, t- the sealing the stone and setting guards. As they were on their way, some of the guards, this is now, we're jumping to Matthew 28, and this is uh, Mary going to the tomb. As they were on their way, some of the guards came into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened after the priests had assembled with the elders and they agreed on a plan. They gave the soldiers a large sum of money and told them, Say this, disciples came during the night and stole them while we were sleeping. If this reaches the governor's ear, we will deal with him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been spread among the Jewish people to this day. So deception is how they chose to try to prevent the gospel message from going forward. It failed. They could have stopped it, except they knew Christ was risen. They had the witness. So now you have the religious leaders now know, oh, he was raised from the dead, and we have a problem. Now, it's, it's an interesting thing, because if you follow all this, we do know that there were followers among the religious leaders. Many still remain concealed, but there were followers, okay? Because they knew what happened. They could no longer pretend they didn't know that Christ was raised from the dead. They spread a lie to try to dampen things down, but they knew. Because it was more important for them to maintain the religious system from which they had a pretty good living than to teach the people the truth or let them know of the truth. Uh, I don't know how many of you folks read uh, Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Christ. It was a really good book. If you know anything about it, the author set out to prove that Jesus was not the Christ and, in fact, the Christianity was a farce. If you read it, you know, his wife came to Christ. This was the uh, late 70s, early 80s. And he was just couldn't believe it. And so his focus was, well, I've got it. She just some emotionally got caught up in something. I'm going to prove that this is not true. And so he was a journalist and uh, had a degree in law and other things. And so he set out to prove that this was false. And if you ever read his book, he went through great detail trying to prove that no way this could have happened, none of this could have happened, etc. And then through his study, through his research, through his learnings, he realized, no, this is real, Christ is real. And he becomes 
a pastor later. I become a Christian and I become the pastor. And as far as I, well, he's a pastor for quite a long time. Um, if somebody's going to be honest and really dig in and try to find out, they're going to find out that Christ is for real. And this faith we believe in, that we walk in, is real. And so, again, our opportunity is to express that to whomever we get to express that to. And mostly, as you've heard me say in the past, we express it by how we live our lives, such that they can see, gosh, there's something different about those people. And hopefully they'll ask us what that might be. As I was going through Lee Strobel's, you know, kind of reading through some of the material that he has there, I read that book long ago. I was trying to remember some of it. Uh, he came upon the proofs that really partly helped him to come to this understanding. The 3,000 come to Christ. One of the things that caught his attention is how many people saw the risen Christ. And so he enumerates Mary Magdalene, that's John 20, 11, 18 through 18. The other women, Matthew 28, 8 through 10. Uh, then he shows up to Peter, Luke 24, 20, uh, 34. Then the 10 disciples, Luke 24, 36 to 43. To the 11, including Thomas on, in John 20, 26 to 29. At his ascension, Luke 24, 50 through 53. To the disciples on the Emmaus Road, that's Luke 24, 13 through 35. To the 500 people at once, that's in Corinthians 15, 6. To James and the apostles, that's also in the same location, and then to Paul, Acts 9, 1 through 6. As he concluded, there had to be one massive conspiracy, or this really happened. Because how could that many people claim to see something that didn't happen and keep a straight face and not be goofed up in their story? Anybody that's played that game, uh, well, I forget what you used to call it. You whisper in the one person here and they're supposed to pass it on to the next person. You know that story never gets around. By, by the time it comes back to the, like the fourth or fifth person, it's completely different from whatever you started out with. We used to play it as a kid. Telephone. Thank you. Somebody remember. Yeah. All right. Well, that would have been the same difference. Somebody would have goofed that up. But they all saw the same thing. They all said the same thing. And that was partly what helped Strobel after his study realized no this this really happened he's really alive this is a real thing when we when we realize that even for a skeptic like Strobel who was an atheist if he really truly sought after Christ and found Christ and became a believer that's true for anybody I think most people are looking is my opinion but they may put up a hard cover, so to speak, to prevent that from coming out, or excuses, or whatever it is that they might come up with, because they realize that they're seeking something, but they don't want to admit that they're seeking. It's some people feel it's weakness. It's not weakness. It's strength. It's the ultimate strength to recognize that you need a savior and that you're a sinner. That's the ultimate strength. Peter had been a bold disciple who had denied Christ. Then he was humbled and became a leader of men in announcing the risen Lord. 
He was bold before, and we saw the cowardice that ensued. But then when he saw the risen Savior, repented, and was received, he was bold. And as we talked about earlier, you can't uh, be a leader if you don't have followers, right? So he was that. I tell some of these stories that, you know, it is one of my favorite things to talk about. You've all heard me say it. And that, and that is to announce Christ and to speak to people about Christ because I don't think there's anything more important than that. Simple as that. It's not that difficult, and sometimes we make it way more complicated than it needs to be. I'll give you a couple of real simple examples. Very simple. As you know, I sailed for many years, and I got to witness to all kinds of folks and talk to all kinds of people all over the world. And my best witness field was to ship because I had a captive audience and those guys weren't going anywhere. I had them. How can you escape? You can't get off the ship. We're out at sea. That's the way it works. All right, so it worked good. And so I had certain ones I would witness who witnessed Well, one was Chief Aversano, who was chief engineer. So to understand that, I, as a captain, he's a chief engineer. That's the highest ranks on board of any ship. So you're basically your four, four stripers, you're in command. Chief Aversano is 20 years my senior. And he's an old Italian guy, and I probably told some of the story, and he's rough and gruff, and eh, probably known as a leg breaker back in the day, the old Italian guy from Brooklyn and whatever. And so as I got to know Chief Aversano, and I was speaking to him about the things of God and witnessing to him, and just I'd spend hours talking to him, and he'd have question after question after question after question. And I'd try to answer and answer and show him in the scriptures and this and that. Now he's a seeker. And, you know, this is a rough and tumble old fella uh, that saw things a certain way. And, and I'm trying to explain a different way. Well, one day, it's been going on for a while. My dear wife was on the ship with me. And she got to sail with me many, for the first ten years we were married. So she got to sail with me. She came in to Chief Avicenna's office, saw me there again with the chiefs, going over, whatever. And she was exasperated. And she says, Chief Aversano, it's really simple. If you don't accept Christ, you're going to go to hell. And, and, and then she left. And I, we're both just like dumbfounded. Like, and then I looked at him and I said, that's what she said. And that was it. That was all. That was it. That night, Chief Aversano gave his life to Christ. All that time I spent, now granted, I'm not saying that was fruitless, but those simple, just cut to the quick, that's how it's going to be, it was it. It was like, there's nothing more to be said. I've given you whatever, and that's that. So that was a simple illustration there. Sometimes you just have to be direct and just say what it is. We had another situation, Kim and I, it was actually the first person Kim ever led to Christ on board the ship, Chief Stewart. I think I was chief officer at the time. And I'd been witnessing to him and so did Kim a little bit here and there. And he came to our office kind of out of the blue. And uh, I could tell there was something. His heart was heavy. And Kim just basically said some very short, sweet words of, you really need to repent and accept Christ as your Savior. The man collapsed in the room on his knees weeping and accepted Christ right there. I mean, we were both dumbfounded. I was just like, wow, like a bolt of lightning knocked the guy down on it. 
just like that. Again, there's nothing special about Tim and I. Just being willing to say the things, you have an opportunity. Now, most of the time, things don't turn out that way. But I'm just saying, they can. If the Holy Spirit's leading someone, you've been, they've been already receiving the word. They're seeking. And you're presenting that opportunity for them. I, I think one of the things that Dan, Dan Johnson's here, I carry this little track around with me. Vince gave me this. And it's a real handy track. How to get on target. So if we're talking to somebody who's really into weapons and hunting and shooting, I pull that baby out. Hey, you want to read that? How to get on target? It's really handy. And it's good. It's got a lot of information in there and, and, and a plan of salvation. And this isn't hard to do. You can, you can just pass one of these out. Go down to a shooting club or whatever. And say, hey, would you like one of these? Okay. Just showing you there's yeah, all kinds of stuff you can do. It's not, it's not difficult. Um, the heart of, pre- of, of Peter's message, I, incur- I encountered the risen Lord. He is alive and seated at the right hand of the Father. His message on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, 22-41 is remarkable in that the very town in which they had just killed the living Christ is where he just gave the message and they repented and came to him. So, again, it comes down to, it doesn't matter what somebody's been into or what all the stuff they did. You don't have to have all that information. If you're seeking Christ, they'll find Christ and they'll have that opportunity. And all we have to do is present it. It's not, it's not real hard. It's still true to this day. The tomb's still empty. Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit's within us. We have all the same things they had, same tools, same opportunities. All they have to do is exercise them. One of the things that some of you older people might remember, there was a TV show called Dragnet. Some of you might remember Dragnet. Jack Webb as Sergeant Friday and Harry Morgan as Officer Bill Gannon. They went around L.A. solving crimes and one of their famous lines was, God, all we want are the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. Just the facts. That's all we do when we present our message. Just give them the facts. Jesus Christ died for your sins. He's risen, seated at the right hand of the Father. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of sin, claim you of all unrighteousness. It's really easy. Repent and be saved. Not hard. And that's essentially what Peter did. He told them the facts. Hey, you killed him. Guess what? He forgave you. Just come to Christ. And they did. 3,000. They were convicted. The fact that they saw the risen Christ doesn't change anything for us. I, I know, at least myself as a kid growing up and even later, uh, I always thought, oh, it sure would be nice to see Christ risen. I'd have liked to have been there. That would have been great. Well, I wasn't there. And he's still risen. And I have seen him. Ow. It's right here. I see him all the time. Every day I pick this thing up. It's right there. It's called the Bible. Right? I see him in this body of believers. 
in what we do for each other and how we act towards one another in the prayers. We're not perfect. Everybody knows that. But that's seeing Christ, seeing the body of Christ, observing it. So that's how we know that. In 1 Corinthians 15, 1-9, Paul makes the similar declaration. Now, brothers, I want to clarify for you the gospel I proclaim to you. You received it and have taken your stand on it. You are also saved by it. If you hold to the message I proclaim to you, unless you believe for no purpose. For I passed on to you as most important what I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scripture, and that he appeared to Caiaphas, then the twelve, then he appeared to over 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as one abnormally born, he appeared to me. Paul knew. And he gave that message clearly to anybody that would listen to him. Can there be any greater message to present to a dead and dying world? The death of Christ is the means by which God satisfied his wrath towards sin. His resurrection guaranteed our salvation. In first in 2 Corinthians 5:21, for he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made righteousness of God to him. 1 Peter 2:24, who has who his own self bear our sins in his body on the tree. And finally, 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also has once suffered for sin, the just for the unjust. According to the Scriptures, he was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Without the resurrection, the crucifixion had no meaning. But it's that resurrection that guarantees our salvation and our opportunity as believers to announce Christ to all the world. I wanted to read one last thing Whoops, out of our handy-dandy guide. Uh, this is one part that uh, Pastor Kelly Lineberry wrote, and I just wanted to read this last thing as we close. The world needs Jesus. Our world needs the Holy Spirit. I need him and you need him. Peter continued to exhort, testify, and preach to the crowd on the day of Pentecost. He went on and on, urging them to save themselves from this corrupt generation. The message Bible says, get out, the, get out of this sick and stupid culture. My wife likes the message Bible, as you heard earlier today. Okay. Get out of this sick and stupid culture. We are called out of our carnal ways and called into the ways of the Holy Spirit. The flesh and the spirit are enemies. We are not human beings having a temporary spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a temporary human experience. Did you get that? That's really important. Receiving the Spirit should be like coming home to us. We belong with him, and he belongs with us. This is for you, your children, to all who are far off, 
and as many as the Lord God shall call. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you again for the encouragement of your word. We thank you, Lord God, for all you've done for us, the great sacrifice you made upon the cross on our behalf. Thank you for the resurrection and the defeating of death. We thank you, Lord God, that we all have the opportunity to follow hard after you. We thank you, Lord God, for the Holy Spirit present in this place and dwelling us. We ask, Lord God, that as we go forth this week, that we continuously remember you. Seek your face. Read your word. In Jesus' name, amen.